to us about vision. Let's go. Thank you, Dan. Hey, everyone. Good to see you. My name's Dan. If I've not uh, managed to meet you yet, um, with Kate, we're the lead pastors here. Um, and welcome to Vision Sunday, part one. Part one. You'll see why it's a two-parter in a little while. Um, but today, I would like to speak to you about becoming passionate followers of Jesus. Passionate followers of Jesus. And talk about and think about how we can increase our passion for Jesus and fuel our passion for Jesus. Now, passion needs to be... Um, directed. Otherwise, it dissipates. And that's why in our church kind of uh, life, we put in two times a year for us to think and to pray about what it is that the Lord is calling us to do in Brighton and what is He calling us to be uh, as St. Peter's in Brighton. And um, we have this vision statement, which is going to come up on the screen, which is this, to play our part in the evangelization of the nations, the transformation of society, and the revitalization of the local church. And uh, just to break that down, to play our part, it's not all about us, which is a really, that's a big relief. That's the good news. Uh, the Lord's church is really big, but he has got a particular part for us to play where we are. Oh yeah, if we can keep it up. The evangelization of the nations, that's just telling people how good Jesus is and giving them the opportunity to explore a relationship with him. We do that as a group here through running Alpha and about 400 people will get a chance to do Alpha uh, this year. Um, then the transformation of society, the Lord's heart breaks for those in our community who are, in need and through uh, we kind of call our ministries uh, kind of put it under the safe haven banner but there is so much care and compassion going on for the kind of those on the uh, margins of our society like you guys feed about 300 people a week there's dead advice there's like um, there's a compassion kind of prayer ministry there's so much going on as we seek to see God's kingdom come and then the revitalization of the local church basically um, God's plan for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven is the church. Risky strategy, if you ask me, uh, but there's no plan B. This is it. This is, this is plan A. This is God's plan. And, um, and so we want to be all that he's asked us to be. And we want to help other churches be all God is calling them to be too. This is a great vision. It's a fantastic vision. It's a vision worth getting out of bed for in the morning. But... I don't know about you, sometimes I find it, it can sometimes feel a bit detached from my day-to-day -day life. It can be hard to see, well, where do I fit in? You know, it's great having a big vision, but it's got to land in daily practices. And the good news is that because this matters and he loves us, Jesus talks about this and he makes it clear for us. And we're going to look at his words to us in Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. Now, to set the scene, in Jesus' day, as in our day, there were competing ideologies, theologies, and strategies for how we should live our lives, what we're aiming for, 
and how we're going to get it. And basically, kind of nothing, there's nothing new under the sun. So in Jesus' day, you had the Romans, they thought it's all about power. The Sadducees, they thought it's all about position in society. The Pharisees, it was about learning. The Herodians, it was about politics. The Essenes, they separated themselves. And the Zealots, well, they just fought with everyone. They're Twitter before Twitter. And all of these are ways of making sense and navigating life. And all of these ways are challenged and threatened by Jesus. And so even though these groups don't get along, they unite together to gang up against Jesus. And then we read this. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Amen. I love the phrase TLDR. TLDR. Have you come across this? Stands for too long, didn't read. Too long, didn't read. And it's such an act of love when a colleague sends you like a ridiculously long email and then just at the top is like, too long, didn't read. Here's the two points you actually need to know. And it's kind of like this guy comes to Jesus and is like, Old Testament, TLDR. Although it's not too long, didn't read. It's too long, did read, still need help. And Jesus goes to the book of Deuteronomy and he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And then Jesus goes to the book of Leviticus and he says, love your neighbour as yourself. Jesus says, did read, still confused. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Love your neighbour as yourself. Or I love this summary of it. Love God with passion and love people on purpose. Love God with passion and love people on purpose. Or, or if you want a summary of a summary of a summary, you could initialize it as El Guap and El Pop, um, which is not that useful, but it's quite satisfy, satisfying to say. Um, now, when Jesus does this, it's genius because he helps us in so many ways. First of all, he makes sense of the Bible. Like the Torah or the law had many commandments in it. There was always this discussion. Like, where, where do you start? What's the most important bit? And the Pharisee had narrowed them down to 613 different laws, which, if we're honest, is quite hard to remember, let alone to work with. Like my kids struggle with two rules, no shoes on in the house and don't kick me in the face. Like, so 613 is quite a lot. It's a bit like this sheet. Okay, the, on this sheet, I have the whole of the Old Testament printed in Hebrew on it. Well, I would have the whole if we had budget. And, uh, but, and actually, I borrowed this from my last church. Uh, but this has got quite a bit of the opening of the Bible in Hebrew on it. And it's a bit like this. It can feel a bit overwhelming. It can be like, well, where do I start? Like, do I start here? Or is, is this the right way up or, or down? And, and it's easy to feel kind of lost in it all. 
And, and back then there was this strategy. One way was what well, people said, we well, can make sense by like cutting bits out of it. And you can take this bit out and that's how you make sense. That's what the uh, Sadducees did. They didn't believe in the prophets. Or, or the Pharisees said, well, the way you make sense of it is you add. You add stuff to the Bible and that's how you make sense of it. And, and Jesus says, no, no, you don't need to do any of that. And he goes into the Bible itself to help them understand it. And he says, look, you can make sense of it by hanging it on these two things. By hanging it on loving God with passion. Oh, here's where we see if I got the measurements right. And loving people on purpose. And as you hang it on these two things, it all starts to make a lot more sense. And you can start to see the full picture. All of this depends on these. So it makes sense of the Bible, but it also makes sense of me. See, think about it. When Jesus says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two, what was the law and the prophets to them? Well, it wasn't just writings. This was life. This was the story. This was the origin. This was the the identity. This was the way of life. It's where they've come from. But the story wasn't going as intended. They were promised to be a people and to have a land and instead they're exiled and scattered. And so God sent to them prophets who, who, who said, yeah, this is bad. Like, this is really bad. Like, they didn't deny it, but they said there is hope. There is hope that this story will be restored. Your story will be restoried. Often, you know, our culture is built on this story of you are your own and you belong to yourself. And it promises life and leaves us burdened and anxious and fatigued. Jesus offers us a different story. This is the story he offers us. And he says, as you lean into this story, you will find the hope that you are looking for. You will find the identity that you are looking for. Jesus offers us a promise that will work because if it's all law and no hope, it's all rules and no promise, that's just striving. But if it's all hope and no story, well, that's just kind of baseless optimism. The law and the prophets is this picture of a thriving story and a promise of it continuing. What is the story of who you are? What is the story of who you are? And what is the hope of how that story will end? And even more importantly, what is that story staked to? And what is your hope hung on? See, the the main message that we're assaulted with all the time is, hey, love an ideology and love yourself. You know, love your priorities and, and care for yourself above all other things. And Jesus says, no, love the Lord your God with passion. Each day, hang your life on loving Him a little more with passion and hang your life on loving people on purpose. And as you do that, you'll find everything that you're looking for. So it makes sense of the Bible, it makes sense of me, but it also makes sense of us. See, the implication, if this is true, if what Jesus is saying is right, then my greatest need in life is to find a way to love God with passion, to find a way to grow in my passion for God. And my second greatest need is to find a way to love 
my neighbour, to love people on purpose. And that's true for me, but it's also true for us. Because you could take our vision statement, you could summarise it as an action as, our job is to serve our city. Our job is to serve our city. And so we serve our city, firstly, by worshipping Jesus, putting Him first in our lives and giving them an opportunity to come and worship Him. That's what this is about. It's what groups are about. It's what Alpha is about. But also by loving our neighbour, by serving them as you do, by caring for the vulnerable, by reaching out to those on the edges, for, for serving people in so many different ways. And you do. The stories from Safe Haven and from groups are amazing. This week, it was, somebody was helping somebody and, and with something to do with money. And at the end, they was like, is there anything else we could help you with? And they said, well, I haven't had heating in my flat for 15 years. And they were like, well, how do you heat your flat? And they were like, well, I just use the oven. And they were like, well, could you help me? And they were like, yes, there's so much need and there's so much practical help. We heard of somebody finding a fridge for somebody else this week. You're meeting so many people's needs. And it's also why we plant churches, therefore, because we can't most effectively serve our city just from here. There are specific needs to just around here, but these needs are different from the needs even just up the road or in the different directions. And over the last 13 years, you've planted nine churches. You've planted four in the city. It's, it's such an amazing, because this gives people an opportunity to worship Jesus where they are and also meet the actual needs of their local neighbourhood. So how do we do this? How do we love God with passion and love people in purpose, on purpose? And we're going to divide and conquer. So this week, we're going to look at loving God with passion and we'll return next week to looking at loving people on purpose. So how do we grow in our passion? Well, the first thing, the why behind this all is because that's how God has loved you. We don't love Him to try and make Him love us. He loves you. Because He loves you, because He loves you, because He loves you. There is nothing you can do to make Him love you more. There is nothing you can do to make Him love you less. He loves the now you, not the future you. He doesn't love how you should be. He loves the you, you in this moment. He is your loving Father and He wants to guide you into the fullness of everything that He has for you. That's the starting point, learning slowly to be convinced by his love. And it takes a long time because I don't know about you, but my heart is heart and I struggle to believe it. But he's given us two tools to help us. He's not just said, hey, love me with passion and just try a little bit harder. Like he's given us these tools and there's lots of tools, but the two we're going to look at today are these money and songs. Money and songs, or if you want them to alliterate, cash and choruses. Okay, cash and choruses. The first one is songs. Our first tool for deepening our passion is songs and singing. Music is a strange thing, right? It, it's quite intangible, and yet we ascribe a lot of worth to it. Like Spotify is now worth $22 billion dollars. Karaoke apps were one of the fastest growing uh, uh, mobile phone apps at the moment. The world is obsessed with song. 
but also the Bible is obsessed with song. Its longest book is a songbook, the Psalms. Its first book opens with a song. Its last book, Revelation, has 27 songs in 22 chapters. Every major character in the Bible has a song. Eat your heart out, Disney. Like every key moment in the life of Jesus from conception to death is surrounded by song. Even before the cross, the most important moment in history, we read when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And then even on the cross, Jesus is likely singing when he quotes Psalm 22 and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Over 250 times in the Bible, we are commanded to praise. And that nearly always has sung connotations. Why? Why is the Bible obsessed with singing? Well, the quick answer is the Bible is about God, God is love and love always ends up singing. But song is a tool to help us love him with passion because it is the action of passionate love. But it also expresses the desire of the deepening of that love. You know, whenever you worship, whenever you sing a song to Jesus, you have already won. Because every time you sing, you give him a gift that you have never given him before. Because you chose to come today with different circumstances, different challenges, different wins, different fails, different things you're facing, and you chose to praise him, to say, it doesn't matter what I'm going through, you are worth it. Every time you sing, you put your heart on the line. You say, God, I'm here for you and I'm trusting that you will not let me down. One of the most powerful illustrations, I saw this last year. We've got a video. It's an unnamed Ukrainian woman. She's just left her husband. Uh, he's remaining in the Ukraine to fight and she's fleeing the advancing army. She's with her child and she gets on a bus and with her friend, they sing this. That is costly worship. The cost to sing that song in that situation is trusting God and saying, God, don't let me down. This is a way to love him with passion because, you know, singing is like a physical embodiment of the command because it takes your strength. You have to force air out of your lungs and out of your mouth. It involves your heart because you're bringing your emotions. It involves your mind because you're bringing words. And it's also a picture of loving your neighbour as yourself because you're trying to, well, I'm trying to sing in tune and harmonise with everyone around me. It's a picture of what Jesus commands us to do. And when we sing, it's like an 
act of faith because it's saying, Jesus, what I'm doing in this moment now is what I want my whole life to be and become. That with everything I am, I would point it to you and worship of you. Like in worship, we do want to encounter God, but actually that's secondary. That's secondary just to turning up and blessing Him and saying, God, you're just worth it. And I choose to worship you in this moment. Do you know, I have a thousand different desires, but as I choose to worship the one God, He makes sense of my strangeness and brings my messiness into wholeness. The irony of this is that that Jesus makes sense of me by pointing me at something that is not me. And singing is a tool that does it. The other tool that helps us grow in passion is money. And we do that by investing into that which Jesus is passionate about. See, there are two reasons kind of to give. Uh, One of them is as a church, to do all that we want to do together, um, we need money to do what we want to do. But in some ways, that's like the less interesting of the two reasons. The primary reason we give financially is because it's one of the ways that we worship. Jesus says this to us, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also, which is both a warning and an opportunity. It's a warning because if you put all your money into temporary things, they'll let you down and then you'll be disappointed. But it's an opportunity because it means if you want to increase your passion, you can use money to do it. Maurice Saatchi asked this question, how do you carry a cow in your pocket? How do you carry a cow in your pocket? And the answer is with a coin. A coin is a brutally simple idea, but it's an incredibly powerful idea, isn't it? Because you can exchange your life for something that you can then exchange for something else. You know, to get money, to get coin, you had to go to work, you had to give of your heart, your soul, your strength, your time, your, your talent, and in exchange, they gave you a coin. Well, nowadays they gave you digital numbers in the ether, but it it still kind of works. And and what that means is, you know, you see it when somebody buys a, a car or they buy a new phone, they care for it because where your treasure is, your heart is also. But you also see it when people give to their church. When they give, the heart follows. As you give, you can use that to fire up your passions. See, giving cultivates passion by creating connection. You know, and Kate and I are so privileged. We are so astounded by your passion and your generosity. You are an incredibly generous church, not just now, but, but all who've gone before us as well. You know, um, I just, just one story from like a few weeks back. Somebody came to us and they said, you know, uh, they said like, we're going through a really challenging time financially, as a lot of you are. They, they run a, a business and they said like, it, the recession's hitting us hard. We've had to cut back on projects. We've had to cut back on expenditure. They'd even take a pers- taken a personal salary reduction. And then the banker had come to them and said, look, you can cannot keep giving at the level you're giving at. You literally can't afford this. And they'd look to the numbers and were like, yeah, he's probably right. And they'd, they'd come to us to say, we're really sorry, we've had to cut back uh, in this season. But you know what? I love that. I love that because they'd looked at what they'd had and they'd cut everywhere else before they'd cut 
to investing in what God is doing in them and through them. Because it's not about the size of your wallet. It's about the size of your heart. It's not about the size of your wallet. It's about the size of your heart. Like we do need to raise some money today. But actually as your pastor, today isn't about what I want from you. It's what I want for you. Because as we give, as we invest and align our passion with what Jesus is passionate about, that's, that's where our story starts to make sense. So how much should I give? And thanks for asking. Um, in the Old Testament, there was this idea of giving 10%, what's known as a tithe. And Christians were not held to that. But often Christians have taken that and understood that to mean we're free to give more. And the, the fascinating thing about giving a tithe is to work out a tithe, you literally have to count your blessings to work out what 10% of those blessings are to then give. And as you count your blessings, you, you get your bank statement out, you see what God has given you, it increases your gratitude, which deepens your passion. You know, also, it's a pretty big sacrifice, isn't it? Kate, we, Kate was, said this to me, she was like, it's quite a lot. 10%. It's quite a lot. And she was like, you could go on a really great holiday for 10% or you could eat out of your favourite takeaway, like a lot more. And it's really interesting because it, it puts a shape around the sacrifice that you're making. You can even go, well, Jesus, I would have really enjoyed that takeaway. And so I'm, I'm going to give that to you. So you, you better make up for it. Um, but it's saying, Jesus, you are worth more than anything else I have. The word Jesus, is, Jesus uses for love here is agapao, which means to prefer what he prefers, expressed in sacrificial way through choices. It deepens passion by deepening dependency. As we look at our money, as we take stock, you know, as we do this in this season, some of us, it will be like, we look and we realise, actually, I have less at the moment. And I maybe need to reduce my commitment to, to, to regular giving. For some of us, we'll look at what we have and we'll realise, actually, I have a bit more. Actually, two people at the 8 a.m. just absolutely amazing. They were like, it's really good timing because our pension goes up next week. We've done really well this year. And that means we can increase our giving. That, that's the way the family of God works. Those who have a little bit more are able to cover those who have a little less, which is how it's supposed to work. Now, there's probably a few myths that become barriers to giving uh, to St. Peter's. The, the first myth is that um, you, they don't, or we don't need your money. Uh, and maybe that's because you think we're a wealthy church. And in some ways, we are. We are a wealthy church because we have each other. And you are also generous. But in the sense of having lots of money in the bank, we're not a wealthy church because we don't want to keep reserves for a rainy day. Our reserves are in your pockets. So we keep enough reserves uh, for what we're required to by law uh, to make sure we've got uh, ongoing costs so we don't just face a cliff edge tomorrow. Um, but actually our reserves are in your pockets because you will steward them much better. And it means that you are in control as a congregation of deciding how it is that we're going to serve our city. If we're able to give more, we're able to do more. If we're able, only able to give less, we will do less, which again is right. The other myth is, is, well, I'm not needed. This vision is so big, my offering won't make a difference. And actually it's the opposite. This vision is so big and so impossible that it is only humanly possible with all of us 
playing our part. And most importantly, it's only healthily and sustainably achieved by all of us being involved. You know, you might look around and think, oh, the building looks quite fancy. They don't, don't seem to uh, uh, need anything. But as we experienced two weeks ago, uh, things sometimes go slightly wrong. And actually, this building is only fit for purpose because of the faithful stewardship and investment of this congregation and of the congregation before uh, the plant 13 years ago who've stewarded this building. And I would love, you know, uh, in 20 years' time when, when our kids are all in charge, that they don't have all the challenges that we have, although it was fun to go on tour a few weeks ago. You know, wouldn't it be great to continue to make this building even an even better base to serve our city from, to make it even more accessible uh, uh, for those who find accessibility hard? Now, the position we are in at the moment is a challenging one financially. That, that's where we are as a church. And we're in this position because kind of a perfect storm, really. Um, first of all, the pandemic, you, you may have been aware of that, uh, kind of changed a lot of plans. And now we're in a cost of living crisis, which means people have less to play with. And then we're in a recession as well, which means it costs more to do things. So it costs more to do today than what it did a year ago. And in some ways, those are the, the, the negative reasons. But the positive reason is because over the last two years, you have planted three churches. You've planted three churches, which is what God has asked us to do. And when the opportunity has arrived, we have given of our money, we have given of our time, of our energy, of our people. And when you give people, you also give givers. And some of those givers have gone and those churches are in really good places. They're growing healthily. They're starting to become financially stable as well. And that is wonderful. But it means we have to rejig how we do things here. Because actually the need is increasing. The need in the city is increasing for us to serve people, but also the opportunities are increasing. There are more church planting and partnership opportunities coming up over the next few years. Like John Harley, who we sent out, his church, I think, has already has a building ready to go. Uh, they, just need a, they just need a congregation there. And then another congregation, like uh, one of the other plants comes with two other buildings uh, ready to go. The opportunity to serve our city is enormous. And so we have to change a bit of how the way we're operating. And money is tight at the moment. In the same way that you've probably gone shopping and noticed that you're not able to buy as much as you used to, it's been the same with the ministries here. We've not been able to do things in the way that we used to do them. And what that means practically is that we haven't yet signed off on our budget for the year. So our budget is kind of like our, this is what we want to do. This is how we think God is asking us to serve our city this year. And well, actually, we've got three budgets. The team have been amazing coming up with plans, making sure we're stewarding all of our money as best as we can. And we're waiting on your leading. Like if today we reach what we're hoping to get, we'll be able to do everything we've budgeted for. If it comes in a little less, we've got a plan to do a little less. If it's more, we've got a plan and there are opportunities for us to do more. And so my ask is that you would pray today and this week and ask the Holy Spirit, what is my part in this? What's my part 
in this. Like, if, actually, if St. Peter's isn't your home or your guest today, no pressure. If you're from another church, please, give, you must give primarily to your home church. Um, although you are more than welcome to join in as well. Um, but if St. Peter's is your home, I would love every one of us to either continue to commit to giving regularly or to start giving regularly through a commitment. To, to borrow a line from Archie, uh, my predecessor, the larger the need, the more exciting the gift day. And today is a very exciting gift day. And so there are two ways that I'd love you to consider giving. Um, I would love all of us, if this is your home, to commit to some kind of regular giving through standing order or automated banking or some way. And the reason that is helpful, first of all, it, it means you plan to commit which will deepen your connection and your passion. But also it allows us to make a plan, also allows us to claim 25% back from the government. That's a win. We get to claim your tax back uh, at no extra cost to you. Um, but it also deepens our ownership in what God wants to do in us and through us. And to do all we need to do, we need to see uh, a continuation or an increase in uh, existing standing orders or new standing orders of by about £10,000 a month. So that's new or increased standing orders. And then on top of that, we'd love people to be asking the Holy Spirit, are you prompting me to give over and above my regular giving and give a one-off gift? And in that, we would like to, in faith, re uh, reach and seek to raise £100,000 in one-off giving. Now, to serve our city in the way that we have been doing and the way we think we're being led, it's going to cost us that much money. But actually, the cost in our hearts is even greater. And that's what we're going to think about next week, really, because it's not just your treasure you also give of your time and your talent. And actually, that's a really big ask. It's a costly ask because it's one that requires a passion for Jesus because it involves dying to ourselves in order to love our neighbour. And again, the irony is Jesus fills my life with passion in the very same moment that I pour it out into something other than me. See, as I give my life away, as I love God with passion, as I love people on purpose, we find the peace and the passion and the purpose that we have been looking for. Why? Because you're made in God's image. And that is what God is like. The very heart of God it is the Spirit glorifying the Son, the Son glorifying the Father, a community of love that was so overflowing with love that God created this world. And He not only created it, He then entered into it to redeem it by His love. And, and Jesus didn't just save us by fractions. And so it doesn't make sense to love Him by fractions. He went to the cross to pay for all of my sin, to take all of my shame so that I could receive all of my inheritance. And so the only thing that makes sense is to try to learn to love Him with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, to love Him with my, all my opportunities and with all of my passion. Because who else? Who else is worthy of our lives? Who else has loved us to the level that He has loved us with the passion that He has loved us? He has given us everything and He offers us this life 
the story of the Bible, the hope of the prophets. And this is the real promise, that we get to spend all of this life and all the next learning to love Him with the passion that He deserves. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to invite the, the band to come back up. We're just going to take a moment. And, and on your um, chairs, oh yeah, Kate, she wants to join us, you'll find a giving envelope. There's, there's two ways to sort of set up a, a standing order. There's the giving envelope, but also there's a QR code on one of the chairs in front of you. If you want to do that through your phone, you can do that. And I would love to give everyone the opportunity to respond. So, oh yeah, pens are going round. And it's... This is a moment to just be asking the Holy Spirit, what's my involvement? You might not have all the information you need to make that decision today, but I'd still love you to write something, even if it's, Lord, um, I want to I wanna grow in passion this week, speak to me this week, and then still put your details. And then Katie, uh, one of our amazing team, will contact you in a week or so to ask, where have you landed? Or if actually... Um, you're already giving and it's going to stay the same. I'd still love you to fill it out and say it's going to stay the same. Or, I, or if you want to give your heart to Jesus or if you just want to say, well done finance team, thanks for counting and thanks for managing your money. You can write that. Every one of these envelopes will get looked at. But we want to give everyone the opportunity to respond in that physical way. And in the worship, I'm going to invite you.